Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. If you're interested in Tesla, don't miss Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast hosted every week by me, Ryan McCaffrey, a longtime Tesla owner and superfan. On episode 200, I had Elon Musk on for an hour. On episode 220, I talked to Tesla's chief designer, and I'm also there at every big Tesla event covering it in person. Ride the Lightning recaps and analyzes everything happening with the world's biggest EV automaker each week. Hear about the latest Cybertruck developments, the next-gen Roadster, the Model S Plaid, plus the newest updates to the Model 3, X, Y, and more. New episodes have been dropping every Sunday since 2015, so jump in and enjoy. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast service, or check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. Hey guys, welcome to CarCast. We've got a great show this week. Every week is a great show, but this week we welcome IndyCar driver and all-around sports car racer Simon Pagano to the show. Before we get started, here's Geico. Would you love to save money on insurance? Well, of course. Who doesn't love a good deal? Well, when it comes to great rates on insurance for everything, Geico can help. Insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, RV, even homeowners, condo, and renters coverage. Save even more with a special discount when you bundle coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use Geico mobile app and 24-hour roadside assistance, and the switch to Geico becomes a no-brainer. Switch today and see how you can save. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent. Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea. Uh, here alone today. Well, not alone. Here with Chris. Uh, Goldberg is filming something today. I don't exactly know what he's filming. Filming something kind of came up, and uh, I guess he had to, you know, he had to go off and do it. He's got to make money. It is car related too. It is so car related. Not, yeah, yeah that's what we understand. It is car yeah. related. I did watch him on uh, NCIS Los Angeles the other day. They get to they get to put him in the Hellcat. So. Uh, he was excited. I'm sure that's the only thing he posted on social media was like <laughs> filming in CIS got the Hellcat. <laughs> so he's, he's, uh, he's in all in, all in on that. Let's see. We got uh, Long Beach Grand Prix or is it Grand Prix of Long Beach? I don't know. I always thought Long Beach Grand Prix, but I know it's the Grand Prix of Long Beach uh, is coming up this weekend. So if anybody's going out to that, it's always a, a huge event. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, we're not going to be there the whole weekend. Chris is getting married. Okay. It's, well, I'm getting married on a Friday. Chris is getting What's going married. on on a Friday? You he's guys not get getting Saturday? married in Long Beach where he lives. You don't, oh, I know. No, it'll don't be good. You, it's going to be fun. You, you can stay at my house if you want. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you won't be there. Um, the wedding's going to be fun. I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to go out there uh, Friday. We're going to come back Saturday. And, uh, and then Adam and I will be going to Long Beach Grand Prix on Sunday. I just swung by uh, yesterday. Our friends at Anderson Composites, they're working on my Mustang Mach 1. We've got some carbon fiber stuff to debut. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I saw the hood, which we talked about. It has the hood scoop on it. Uh, you know, like a, like a Mustang Mach 1 should have. Um, it's not a separate hood scoop, like, attached to the engine. We wanted to keep it very lightweight, so the scoop is integrated into the hood. So if you wanted to just swap out the hood and get a new one with the scoop, uh, it has it. Now I've always been, I, I've always been sort of behind this. Like it has to be functional, and I know there's uh, a lot of fake side scoops and hood scoops and stuff like that out there, uh, especially on the. Uh, excuse me, especially on the OE cars because of aerodynamics and too much air flowing through like the grill and it suffers with miles per gallon and and stuff like that. But in talking with Anderson, we wanted to make the scoop functional. So on top of the hood, there's the hood scoop. And then underneath the hood, there's a channel that is kind of flat and wide and it directs air to the open element filter under the hood and it's molded to fit that that rubber gasket around uh around the filter area so 
It is a functional, eh, I don't want to say ram air as much as sort of a cold air, clean air. It doesn't change any of the stock induction system. So whatever air gets into the the intake track through the air filter, that's all stock. But where the hood seals, you know, where the, the, the box seals around the hood, that now seals around basically a snorkel that attaches to to the hood. So if you come out to Long Beach, come out and check it out. It should be pretty cool. Uh, it'd be cool to see the car there. And then we're going to actually be taking the car to a few other events and then ultimately to the SEMA show. And then we're going to be introducing some new parts along the way, stuff that we're getting made or stuff that's being developed between now and then. So this will have some of the carbon fiber parts on it. Um, I think... Fabulous Fords Forever, which comes up in a couple of weeks uh, out here in California as well. I think the car will be there in the Anderson Composites boots again, and we'll have uh, some more carbon fiber stuff on it and some new wheels and and whatnot. So uh, it's good. We've got some pretty uh, exciting stuff in store for that. Um, let me tell you guys about McGuire's, and then we're going to welcome our guest. We've got Simon Pagano, IndyCar driver, well, all-around race car driver, joining us. You know, car waxes have come a long way, and over the last few years, McGuire's launched the next generation of protective products specifically geared toward DIYers. They're high, they have their hybrid ceramic spray wax, McGuire's hybrid ceramic liquid wax, their hybrid ceramic spray detailer, and their hybrid ceramic wash and wax. And now they have the hybrid wash mitt as well. For 2022, Meguiar's has introduced the hybrid ceramic pre-wax prep. You can revive your paint easily, remove swirls and other minor defects. It's a really good product. And their hybrid ceramic trim restorer. This restores the darkness and shine to exterior trim. So now, uh, Meguiar's, they have a full line of hybrid ceramic solutions for everyone. And for incredible water beating and protection and durability beyond traditional wax, it's ceramic made easy. It's Meguiar's. Uh, all right. There he is. There's the man. Simon, how are you? Good morning, Matt. Oh, I'm going to need to get some of that Meguiar's stuff, man. <laughs> you should. Well, you've got to put it – you've got to get it on the – sounded good. You got to get it on the motorhome and the whole rig. You got to get a team out yeah. there to do everything. Um, although this could make the car faster, this car could potentially make the race cars faster. That's a, a very good sense speech right there. Very good one. <laughs> uh, I apologize. Goldberg wasn't able to make it. He had a last minute uh, uh, commercial shoot to do, but the plan was here. And they texted me, and he's all upset about it. He's kind of pissed off about it. He's like, "What? What the hell?" And I was like, "I don't know. This is when we get. This is when we have to do it." Uh, I'm excited uh, to come out to uh, Grand Prix of Long Beach, see you out there. It's been an exciting year. Some changes, certainly, right? Uh, lots of changes, yes. <laughs> lots of changes. Well, aside from over just the past couple of years, I mean, coming off of an Indy 500 win to a marriage and a baby and a team change oh. and uh, and racing with uh, with your buddy Elio. Uh, yeah. You know, it's you know, sharing the sharing the 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 team spotlight with that old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a lot. There's definitely been a lot of changes, but um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes, um, sometimes changes is good. You know, sometimes it's um, it's good to put yourself in uh, uncomfortable situations so you go find more within yourself. And quite frankly, um, you know, I had such a great time at Team Penske. Um, for seven years and, and we won pretty much everything that I wanted to win. And then I had this uh, amazing offer from uh, my shank racing. It's more what their vision was about the future that really attracted me to the team. Uh, obviously teaming up with Elio was also another one. Uh, he's the king at the speedway, you know, he's, he's going for five this year. So uh, hopefully I'm going for two, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a really great environment that I really enjoy. It's a young team that we're trying to uh, bring up to the top. And certainly uh, we can start seeing um, the improvement and, and the march forward. So it's uh, super exciting, added to the personal life changes, which uh, which honestly, it's uh, it's like winning Indy every day. <laughs> yeah, you know, the 
We're not just talking. I mean, we're talking about Elio uh, as a teammate, but on the IndyCar side. But with with Meyer Shank Racing, you've got Oliver and Tom as well, and you guys uh, had a lot of success at Rolex Twenty Four this year. That's pretty exciting. First race in, we win Daytona uh, Daytona Twenty Four Hours, uh, and I've been trying. You know, I've been trying for I believe eight years um, to to get that Rolex, get that win. You know, it's one of those classic in racing that you as a driver really want to have on the hunting board. Um, you know, similar to Indianapolis, of course, uh, similar to you would for a Formula One driver with Monaco. So uh, personally, it was an achievement. Um, it was something that, you know, when I retire in 20 years of time, that uh, I'm, I'm glad I did it and I'm glad it's on the board. I mean, it, you've been doing some sports car racing and and other stuff for a long time from, I don't know, maybe eight, seven or eight years ago when you first came on to this show, uh, you, you were, you were racing everything you can get behind the wheel of, it seems like. Yes, I did. <laughs> it was a great time of my career. It was stressful because, uh, quite uh, honestly, I was still looking for, uh, you know, that, that full-time ride in IndyCar. Um, but I had full-time rides in, in sports cars. However, uh, my goal was Indianapolis. My goal was to win in the IndyCar Championship also at a very young age. So, you know, when you have a dream and when you're a competitor, uh, there's nothing that can really satisfy you until you get there and try. So um, it was a great time because I got to race Le Mans. I got to race Daytona. I got to race with amazing team like Team Peugeot um, in, in France. Being a French guy, that was huge to, uh, to race for that team. Um, but... Um, one of the highlights of my career was definitely doing Pike Speak in a minivan with uh, with Honda. Yeah, that was uh, that was special, and to this day, you know, it's uh, it's one of the greatest memories. You know, when you're talking about the sports car racing and IndyCar for that matter, I mean, the stage of the Indy 500 is so huge that you know, uh, you know, adrenaline's pumping, the massive audience got to be the biggest audience of of any sport. Uh, it's just, you know, so it. It makes it such a big event, but it's a different type of event. So I was always kind of curious about, let's say if you took all of the fanfare out of racing and it was just you and guys on the track, are you, are you more onto, are, are you, are you more into the oval tracks or the road courses? But it's interesting you say that because, you know, obviously I grew up in France not knowing anything about oval racing. My first oval race was 2012, Indianapolis. Um, and since then, it's been a progression every year. We don't race that much on oval, quite frankly, as a yeah. IndyCar driver. When you see Jimmy Johnson's stats at Texas, where he did, I believe, 11,000 laps around that track in yeah. race mode. I think I did 2,000 in my career. So just shows you that we don't have as much experience on oval as a, as, as a NASCAR driver. But uh, I, I've learned to love it. There's a lot of things that, the over racing approach suit me really well because it's a very um, technical sport, te technical skill to have, very tactical as well. And that's very much the way my brain works. So, uh, so I enjoy it. I love the feel of it, um, you know, going through the corners at this kind of speed, sliding around, uh, playing with the draft, something I really enjoy in race mode. But, you know, my, my roots and my first love of racing was uh, street course racing. So um, I would say it's pretty equal. Um, I don't have a preference. At the moment, I just feel very, very confident going on to the oval. Okay. You know, you're saying, you know, coming from France, oval racing wasn't really anything you had done. So when you first watch it on TV, you probably look at it and go, well, that looks easy enough. And then I get it when you go out there and it's much harder to do than you think. But, you know, now that you, you know, like you said, 2,000 2, laps already going around in circles, is it easier? Is it, <laughs> is it easier than the road course? <laughs> no, it's not easier. It's, um, it's physically easier, yes. Uh, you don't get thrown around, you know, by the bumps, by the curbs, by braking, turning, accelerating. The G-forces on a Novo are constant. Um, yeah. Okay. So th for some reason, it's not as uh, tiring on the body. Uh, although after Texas, I was, I was really tired for a few days. It took me a while to recover. But, um, but it's a different kind of fitness. Um, so I would say on the fitness side of things, road course, street course are tougher. Uh, mentally speaking, 
I think the overall is tougher. Uh, so it's a different balance. Um, I, I <clears throat> really enjoy it, but you know, when I did watch it back in the days when I wasn't racing oval, and still to this day, some friends are telling me the same thing. It, it looks easy from outside. What are you guys doing? Um, it's a shame. Like we've got to find a way to, you know, for people to feel it when they watch TV to understand how tough it is to keep that car on the racetrack. Um, and it's always going to be difficult because the movements are so small. But if it's erratic, then you're going to get off the racetrack. So it's a tough one. Yeah. You know, I I guess, yeah. So I, I wonder if you're how, – how much does the strategy play into it? Like we've seen so much oval racing and there's such a big strategic game to it. And a lot of it is – kind of won or lost on that. I mean, there's some great drivers out there and, you know, obviously it's very competitive and you got to make the right moves and you got to be a little risky, but there isn't anybody really incompetent out there. Everyone's professional doing. So there's, there's some strategy involved. So I just feel like, I don't know, like, well, first of all, when you run oval, do you have somebody talking in your ear the whole time more than you do when you're on the road course? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I've got a good story for you on that one. Um, so you have a spotter. In India, you have two spotter. It, one spotter covers one half of the track. The other spotter covers the other half because it's such a big track. Um, so you have two different guys talking to you, uh, different tone of voice. I mean, you have to get used to that doing 230 miles an hour. <laughs> Decision <laughs> process has to be really quick. But uh, there's that. Then there is, uh, for me, it's Mike Shank. He's my strategist um and uh we prepare like a week ahead of the race usually we have documents flowing through and, and giving us ideas on what happened the previous years the statistic of incident on the racetrack and what lap happens so we kind of know the different scenarios and it's something that we're working really hard on right now uh with my shank racing is uh, trying to find a process on uh, learning all these scenarios uh, ahead of time. So then we can pick during the race what we need to do. Because at the end of the day, it's not really reading in a crystal ball uh, strategy. It's, um, you know, it's about knowing what you have on the menu and choosing what you prefer. So uh, it, it's very interesting. But uh, in Texas, <laughs> at the end of the race, the car was extremely loose. The rear end was, was sliding uh-huh. a lot. And my spotter was talking, talking. Mike was talking on the radio. And I was like, guys, guys, just please, just let me do my thing here. <laughs> I've got to concentrate on driving. I'm going to crash otherwise. So, uh, you know, it's, it's you're always adjusting, but uh, it's fun. I, I imagine the scenario being a little like, I don't know, like a, a little like a parent. There's someone who's trying to be a good parent and say, you should do this and do this and do this, but you know, do whatever you want. It's okay. Do whatever <laughs> exactly. you want. Like you should do this and this and this, but eh, you decide. Do whatever you want. Yeah. And it just gets kind of frustrating. Going, I don't, I don't know what to do. There's too many, there's too many things going on. It's too many people it's talking a, to me. It's a same lot time. of information. It's a lot. Yeah, it's got a lot, a lot of, of information. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and the spotters also can't really see each other. So, like when we sit in a podcast studio you know, with guests or co-hosts, you can kind of see when someone is going to talk. You can see their movement. You see them take a breath. And it it gets crazy to listen on, on headphones when people are – multiple people are talking over each other. In real life, it sounds natural, but in headphones, it sounds – it sounds crazy. And I yeah. would imagine as being, you know, trying to handle 230 mile an hour <laughs> around yes. a track and have multiple people talk to you and they can't really know what's, what's going on with each other. They have to just sort of, you know, take a, take a guess as to, you know, when one person stops talking and when they can get a visual on you and then somebody else starts talking. So, uh, I can't imagine it's, it's easy. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a tough one. I tell you, it's, and that's one thing that uh, on my radio we try to do is is make sure that someone has priority on the channels, so then there's no overlap. Uh, it's another thing that's super important because if there's an overlap of an important, very important information like pitting, you know, yeah. we need to pit to put fuel in the car, and I don't hear it, then it could be a disaster for the race. So, uh, so we we give priority to Mike, my strategist, 
just in case um, you know there's something I may miss. All right, so let's let's back up a, a little bit. Let's. Uh, what was the family business? How did you get started? Because the f- family business wasn't originally racing, right? No, uh, family business is uh, quite surprisingly. It's uh, basically my my grandfather, my great grandfather, were in the uh, grocery store business. I was going to guess bakery. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to guess bakery, but I was, I was pretty close. <laughs> close. That's pretty much how it started. Little groceries, little markets, um, and they. They started with a really small market with two people in it, and then they grew it. Um, my grandfather uh, ended up buying uh, about seven at the time supermarkets, so grow, grow, uh, uh, grow a lot, grew a lot from uh, the little markets. Um, he bought seven, sold all that, and then started his own platform distribution for all the stores of the region, uh, which was really smart. Um, then he sold and went to retirement really early. Sold one of the supermarkets to my dad, and my dad took it from 50 people up to 250 employees now. So it's a huge supermarket, um, which, you know, my dad is incredible. He's my hero. Um, but uh, the, what, what he's created is very impressive. So you could buy a dishwasher. You can rent a car. You can actually uh, buy a cruise uh, in, in the supermarket. He has everything. You can buy your sunglasses there or your for your flowers, for your wife. Um, so it's, it's a one-stop shop. Um, my dad was into racing, but not um, just just passion from outside. We watched races as, uh, when I was a kid. He taught me to drive at a young age on his lap, and that's where the fire started. Yeah. What kind of racing were you guys into when, when you and your dad were watching? When I was, it's really strange. There's no explanation for it, but at four years old, uh, there was the battle between Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fighting McLaren, and uh, it was uh, in the 1990s. So I was six years old, four, six years old. And um, and I was watching Formula One every Sunday on TV, and my dad joined me, and then we started watching uh, Formula One as a tradition every Sunday. And uh, then we went go-karting at 10 years old when I was 10, started racing. Very low level, very low budget, and uh, but I think it helped me because I, I actually had to work on my go kart myself. And then it kind of it kind of grew from there. So you you start off as a kid in in racing, but at some point, you know the, the, where the social development happens, right? You become a teenager. You got to go to high school. You yep. you 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 meet girls. You learn to talk to people, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and you start to think about what you want to do for a job and did you have your sights set on something else? Like, was there a minute where like you wanted to be a farmer or a lawyer? I always wanted to be a race car driver. Well, but that's it was good. That makes a, it easy for a kid. <laughs> easy. Yes. I know because you know, you, you know, I, I did a, a regular course of uh, school. Basically I didn't go to, um, you know, specific training school for sports or anything like that. I did the regular uh, way. Um, which was tough because uh, I was missing school quite a bit, especially um, when I was uh, 16 years old, uh, up to 18 years old, uh, when I was doing Formula Renault um, in Europe. So I missed a lot of school, but um, my eyes were set from a very young age at being a race car driver, just wanting to be a race car driver. I didn't care what it was, just wanted to be a professional race car driver. And my dad was like, there's no way, you know, <laughs> we're not in racing. Uh, only the elite makes it. Like, he says, I don't know how we could get there. I don't know how you could even uh, think that's a possibility. So I I just um, met people. Uh, people along the way basically helped, and there was talent. So it, it, it happens, but um, it wasn't meant to be. Um, I studied to run a supermarket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did two years of business school um, from 18 to 20. And like you said, um, it's distracted me from racing um girls uh friends uh going out and uh and i missed my shot for formula one because of it but you know it's part of life um i had to learn that part and it taught me to be more disciplined later on in my career when when did you get let's say the first paying gig as a racer when did the tides turn and you 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 knew you were going to do this for, well, for as ever, <laughs> basically. Yeah, forever, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Forever, it could stop tomorrow if you're not successful. 
that's the the critical part with racing. Um, and there are very talented kids right now that struggle to uh, to to be professional, even though they have the talent and and they should make it. But um, uh, unfortunately, racing is very expensive. Um, it's not like football. When you're a young kid, you have to rent your equipment into a race team. Usually, the best costs more money. And uh, if you do well, you go to the next level. You still have to pay to show what you can do. Then, when you get to the top level, if you get there then there are people hiring you to drive their race car. Uh, that's what happened to me when I came to the US in 2006 and won the Atlantic Championship. I had a big prize money to use to go to Champ Car. And that's how I became professional. That's where that's when I started making money. Um, and um, touch wood, but it's never stopped since. But uh, you know, it, it was very tough at points. Um, so 2007, I started making money, but 2000. Eight, April 2008, I was out of rides, almost went back to France. Um, same thing happened in 2012, almost went back to France and do something else. So, you know, it's it's never secure. Yeah. You know, like you said, you, you take some prize money and you reinvest that into, you know, the next move of your career. But, but yes, when you get hired as a driver on the team, I mean, I'm sure that's when you get to call home to dad and go, I got a job. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, I got like an actual exactly. job, Dad. You know, like I'm yeah. gonna get a paycheck in the in the mail. It's gonna be fantastic, and and at least yeah, I have absolutely. a plan for whatever for for 12 months or something. You know, we 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 have a plan, and it it does change a little bit because for a small amount of time during those contracts, you get to think more about the job and a little less at getting the job, right? Um, yeah, you're right. You know, we've, you know, over here, we've been putting together a, a beverage company this past year and so much of uh, Goldberg and I, and, and, you know, so much of it is in this case, fundraising and getting the, you know, getting the company, you know, uh, funded to get it off of the ground. And what does that look like? And what does that pitch look like? And you end up spending so much time on that, uh, that when you do get, your funding, it really does kind of change because now you get to work, you get to do the job, you get to do the yeah. job you've been promising everybody you're going to do. And, yeah. um, and I like both aspects of it. I do enjoy, you know, the obstacles and the challenges of doing the fundraising portion of it, but I do love running the business more and yeah. having to go back and, and do that. It's, it's, you know, anybody who does freelance work as well, you're, you're constantly trying to scratch up work and then you do the actual work. But then when you do the actual work, you realize, yeah, but also now you're, you're the accounts receivable person. You got to handle the money. You got to go after the money. If they don't pay you, you got to chase it down. You know, you gotta, you gotta do all this other stuff that, 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 you know, it doesn't leave much time for the actual work. So when you do get uh, a nice gig or you get a contract, as you say, or you get, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, promise to race a car for a certain amount of time. Um, yeah, you get to, you know, listen, when you get, when you get that type of gig, you end up, you know, the 2016 IndyCar champion, you end up as a, <laughs> you end up as an it Indy helps. 500 winner, right? <laughs> you get to, it helps <laughs> because you can prepare better, right? You can, yeah. um, you know, hire a personal coach for the mental side of things, the, the physical side of things where, I've lost a lot of time in my young career, you know, basically not having uh, my family in racing. I didn't know how to prepare to be, to do the job, like you're saying. So if you look at a Max Verstappen, for example, at 18, he was ready to win Grand Prix. It, it to me, is incredible. But he was, um, you know, trained by his dad, who was a Formula One driver. And his dad, I believe, is an incredible coach, obviously, uh, with a kid that has a lot of talent. But personally, I had to go through the growth of a teenager, definitely. Um, I had to learn the job. And even today, I'm still looking at how could I be better? What do I need to to do? Is it, you know, uh, do I need to tweak my nutrition here? Do I need to uh, do something on hydration? Is there stuff I can do with my brain to work better in the race car? Um and all this stuff I'm learning every day, management, you know, within the team, like how do I extract the best out of everybody? It's incredible. But 
I'm still learning today. And if I had known what I know five years ago, which is a very famous sentence to say, yeah, then I would have been so much better, right? But it is part of anyone's course, and um, uh, it's quite interesting. But certainly, when you have that contract in hand, you can invest it the right. If you invest it the right way, it's very helpful. Although in racing, you do need to be a bit on the on the hot seat to perform uh, at your top level because it, it's you have to have such a high commitment that uh, you can't be comfortable. You know, and there's also there's a different scenario between, uh, you know, team owners or owner racers versus hired guns, if you will, and that the hired gun in all forms of racing, drag racing, sports car racing, you know, indie car racing. You know, it it is a different type of thing for sure. Even if you don't – listen, I'm not saying it's easier to have family legacy in racing. I'm just saying it's a different path to have family yeah. ra- legacy in racing. Um, yeah. You know, you, you compete, you know, every week basically with another good friend of ours, Graham Rahal. But Graham's path was a little different, right? Graham's path uh, with, with Bobby Rahal – uh, you know, as as a team owner or just as a dad who's been been down that path is different than than yours. Your path with dad, the, the superstore grocery owner, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which right. which I'm sure he calls. He's like, listen, there's always a fallback plan. I've got a really nice store over here. You can still yeah, run if you want to. That's what my dad would say. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's don't. What he would say. You know, he's like, hey, listen, maybe it's just the second chapter. If you ever want it, it's here. It's available. We got this awesome store for you. Uh, uh-huh. You know, so I, you know, and talking with guys like Graham, Graham you know, want to do with you what you're doing. Graham wants to envision racing for the next 10 years. But, you know, a guy like Graham is also thinking about, you know, the family business and car dealers and Graham Ray Hall performance and a Ducati dealer and just other things that he's going on that he's interested in. And it's not, it's not the, it's not the same for, for everybody. But I, I think that path of, of racing legacy is, is a different path. And I, I respect and admire both paths, but for things that I've done in my life, there wasn't a, a legacy behind the, the choices that I've made. As a matter of fact, a lot of them were the opposite. I would pick different choices <laughs> and <laughs> and see where it would go. I don't know how I ended up sitting in a studio doing podcasting, but eventually <laughs> that path led me here, uh, you know, for whatever, th- almost 13 years now. Uh, so it was a little bit different path. Um, going back, you were saying that there was an opportunity for F1 that was sort of a lost opportunity, right? It, it, how do you, why is that? Is it, does, does F1 feel like there's like an age cutoff? Like if you don't make something within a certain age, you're kind of done is, or is there an opportunity for, I don't know, for a 30 year old to get into to F1? So, um, I got to go back a little bit to explain, um, so let me remind you, my first real season um, at a high level, I'm just saying high level because up until 16 years old, I was doing go-kart on the, on the weekend, on the Sunday, we would just pack up the go-kart and go and race. Uh, didn't matter if it was a national uh, French champ, uh, national French race or uh, regional. But I did mostly regional, which was a very low level. Um, we had the same same set of tires for the entire season, the same engine for seven years. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad. My dad didn't want to spend money on this. So, you know, I was already very fortunate to have a go-kart and go racing. Um, but then at 16 years old, uh, some people uh, saw me drive and pushed my dad to get me into this um, uh, driving school called the Volant Elf in France, in Le Mans. And I won. So then my first year at 16 years old, I was uh, kind of for the first time at national level. So that's the first year at 16. Uh, at uh, 17, Renault uh, saw me, saw me perfor- perform on the racetrack and got interested. So they started sponsoring my career. And then they offered a contract at 18 years old with Renault Formula One. Um, there was a, um, 
a pool of drivers that were picked up by Flavio Brieto, um to like Fernando Alonso, for example, was the top one of the of the pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roberto Kubica was in it as well, and uh, they had a pool of driver, and the ones that were going to stand out were going to go to Formula One. <clears throat> the thing is, the standing out process was was quite tricky. Um, there wasn't any um, training or uh, help uh, except for the money, which was very important, but that it didn't help me to learn the job. Uh, so at 18, they said, okay, just go do what you do. We, we're sponsoring you. If you do well, you go to Formula One. Okay, no pressure here at 18 years old, 17. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm not ready for the job and you, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Uh, so, you know, first race, you go in, you got talent, you put on the pole and you crash in the first corner and so on and so forth. And I didn't know how to balance that out. And that's when I discovered meditation. But that was too late. They already had cut me off. So... I missed my chance there. If I had been ready a year earlier uh, and not distracted by, you know, the things of a teenager uh, and be focused on the job, then um, then I might, I might have had a shot at least at trying a Formula One car and show what I could do. But I missed it. I missed it because of that reason. And it's such a small world, Formula One, um, that if you miss your chance once, you're done. And uh, and that, that was it for me. You know, I was, uh, I was 18, middle of, so many other good drivers um, of my generation. And then I had to make a choice: go to go to the US and try uh, try uh, try IndyCar. It's a lot to ask for a 16, 17, 18 year old. You know, it you're, was. You're, I mean, it really was. I mean, yeah. you're you're asking you're asking a kid to basically decide the rest of their life, right? Because. Nobody, nobody says, "Hey, I'm going to be a Formula One race car driver for three and a half years, and then I'm going to be a film director, and then I'm going to be a baseball yeah. player." Right? Like nobody, nobody gets to really make those types of decisions because, uh, you know, anybody that backs you wants you a hundred percent. So it's a really big decision to make. You know, sixteen years old, seventeen years old, eighteen year old. I mean, you think of how yeah. many people even just go to college. Like what you were even talking about. Um, you know, listen, a lot of people have their sights set on a career and college is a backup plan. Like I'm going to educate myself on a different career just in case. But there's a lot of people that go to college with a plan to make that their career. And that's not what their yeah. career is going to be. Right. So absolutely. <laughs> and uh, uh, that happens, I think, quite, quite a bit. When you're 18, this opportunity isn't isn't there but do you do you take a break? Do you slow down? Obviously, you're you know you're a little down on yourself, going well. This you know what do I do now? Because it kind of felt like it was the only thing. Yeah. How much time between so was, uh, that? Was, yeah. yeah. Sorry. How much time between that before you 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 get back in the saddle yeah. and start start racing? It, it really was a wake up call. But again, it was only my second year. Um, I was only my second year racing a high level, which is, you know, all those kids I was around, they were racing a world championship in go-kart since they were 12 years old. <laughs> so, uh, so I was behind already, but so what happened is, is it was a big wake up call because I realized, okay, it's, it's talent's important. Uh, obviously, you know, a uh, guy like Fernando made it on talent because his talent was just monstrous. Um, my set of skills was a bit different, but I, I hadn't, peel the layers yet of what it was. Um, I was still a, a raw diamond without pretension, um, mm-hmm. but I needed to shape it. And um, But the problem is, is how do we keep going racing? Uh, now, my dad uh, took it. It was interesting because my dad was not in favor of me racing, but because of the adversity and seeing how I reacted to it, he got more interested in me and how we could succeed to get me where I wanted. So what he did is we were kind of in a corner. Racing was very expensive. Um, at 19, we were looking at going uh, uh, do the Formula Renault uh, European Championship and uh, didn't go well with my previous team. So we had to change team. But I, I knew that I had to be in a top team. So it was going to cost a lot of money. So he said to me, he said, listen, the only way we're going to go racing is for you to find money. I said, oh, what? Right, great. What do you want me to do? How do I find, you know, this 
was at the time 240,000 euros uh, a season, which today is nothing compared to uh, yeah, what it was. And um, I said, okay, um, I don't know how to do that. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm like, thank you. He says, no, <laughs> we're going to build a business and you're going to make profit and you're going to put the profit on racing. I said, what kind of business? He says, what? Don't you like going to the racetrack? I said, yeah. He says, why don't you start your own driving school? And I'm like, okay, why not? So then he, um, he said, okay, you can use my network. Uh, you can use your network because you have one already of business business owners. You're gonna, you go see them. You do it on your own. And you, uh, you have to find a way so it's a win-win situation when you do your sales pitch. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so we build um, we build a company basically that was a driving school company we rented cars uh, from a racetrack um, and we rented the track on days and I managed to go see business owners and booked full days at the racetrack I learned how to run the business so for my dad it was smart because he could see that I was shaping myself into a business owner <laughs> yes but also I was gathering the money to go and race so it was a win-win for him as well I know your dad's uh, a great mad scientist. I love this strategy. Um, it was of him teaching you what he knew. He may not have known racing uh, that much, but he knew how to build a business, and he wanted to yep. show you how to build that business. So yeah. even if the racing thing didn't work out, and I'm glad to see it did, uh, he's yeah. like, "But you know what? You know what you can do. You know what you can yeah. do now." Yeah, and it turned out to be a really successful business. I mean, if racing didn't work, I could have done that my whole life and, and have a really successful business. So, you know, it's still something that, you know, I may go back to when I'm uh, when I'm older because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing the smiles of people when they step out of the race car. And um, I enjoyed getting taking them on ride-alongs with me. Um, it's something that I really loved. loved. And to this day, I, I still do it. When I go back to France, I invite some of my best uh, previous partners and, and we do a day together so it's fun but uh, that's how basically i disciplined myself i had to wake up every day at 5 a.m go on the roads meet uh, meet my sponsors i had to do um as many meetings a day uh, to gather money yeah uh, so it was efficient but then i had to race and that's when it became difficult also uh to manage the balance of uh, being an athlete and also being a businessman at the same time. But it worked. I, I finished second in the European Championship, and my career uh, took off again. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. What's What's the plan now? This is year one with Shank Racing. I'm sure there's uh, there's a lot of discussions about where to go from here. And, uh, and listen, Elio, to his credit, um, you know, his Indy 500 win um, – cast a, a bright light on on for lack of a better term anti-ageism you know you know everyone's <laughs> yeah. jokes about him being kind of the old man and uh but turns out the old man can haul ass so uh oh, yeah and, and by the way just a just a likable dude he's just such a good likable guy and he's been here before uh i think he's been in the studio with us before uh as well so what is what is five years, 10 years look like for you? It's interesting you ask because to me, um, my whole career, I've always looked five years ahead. Um, and I think, you know, that's the key of, to success in racing. You can't just look at one year, uh, take the money, then whatever. No, because you have to be successful. Uh, it's taking the money is not the essence of being a race car driver. You have to drive for the passion of driving and for seeking success. And what is success? To me, success is uh, being the best lap I can do and feeling like I was one with the race car. If I do that, I know I'll win races. So, um, you know, results can come next. But um, this, uh, this next chapter is exactly where I want it to be at this time. Um, you know, my career is, I've had 10 years, 11 years of racing in IndyCar racing. Uh, hopefully another 10. Uh, but my goal is uh, definitely with Marishak Racing is to help them grow into a top team. Um, there's a lot we can do. It's a young team that has a lot of potential, great talent uh, in it. And um, and I want to be involved. I just, I want to be involved in the management, in the performance side of things. And I want to give all the experience I've gathered throughout the years uh, and try and help 
bike shank racing go to the top. And that's that's their vision of where we're going to be in five years that I was really interested in. Um, the way that Mike Shank manages the team is a very modern way of doing things. He's very open, um, always there with his mechanics. I really enjoy that. And uh, Jim Meyer, um, the incredible businessman. So, you know, we've got all the tools to do well. And um, it's just a matter of working on all the little details and, and building the castle. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And that's where I see myself for the next uh, next few years. Uh, and hopefully we can be at the top as soon as possible. Is there is there a race or any particular type of racing that you want to go back and do again or something you haven't tried yet, uh, like rally racing or you mentioned Pikes Peak was a fun experience. I know you've been yeah. to Le Mans a couple of times. A win at Le Mans wouldn't be bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the other thing is, is there's a potential for my shank uh, racing to go to Le Mans someday. So, um, you know, that would be that would be amazing to be part of that trip um, if they don't go. I want to go back to Le Mans uh, and, and try to, you know, I finished second there. So I would want to try and, mm-hmm. and contend for the win. Uh, that is a dream. And definitely, you know, looking 10 years ahead, it would be amazing to say that I won Le Mans as well as the other races. So uh, that is a goal of mine. Uh, far-fetched dream uh, is something that I'm definitely going to do is I want to do rally. Uh, I really, you know, originally, Actually, my real passion for racing is rally, uh, the World Rally Championship. And, uh, you know, I would have dreamt to win, dreamt to win the Monte Carlo rally. So yeah. uh, I'll try. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can be able to win someday, but I will try it. And at least I'll have the fun of driving those cars like it is. And I just love it. I, we've been noticing uh, more and more of that because the rally cars, the vintage rally cars are, are starting to just go up in value and they're just getting so much know, attention, but you know, the Lamar cars as well. Listen, uh, Meyer shank race and you got a four man team that just won Daytona. That'd be a pretty good team at Lamar. <laughs> just saying, seems like a pretty, <laughs> seems like a pretty good team to, to bring to Lamar. They've got, uh, while everyone is, uh, still hyped up on, uh, off coming off of that Daytona. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick before we wrap up is, you know, you're, you're talking about Meyer Shank Racing, a great team, great people, partnered with uh, Series XM and Auto Nation and the Drive Pink program. You guys got all the pink cars out there, um, which pink uh, everywhere, which pink everywhere, <laughs> which which looks good. But this is, you know, this is also uh, fundraising for for cancer research. I think um, this program that you guys have has raised about thirty million bucks so far. So, uh, you know, the cars look good. Not that the Menards car wasn't that bad looking, but that thing is bright. <laughs> I know. It was really bright. That yeah. was a very, very bright car. Uh, interesting to see on the track. Probably not the most fun to wear, <laughs> the, 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 suit, the suit all the time. Uh, but this is, a, this is a great program that you guys have with, uh, with Drive Pink. Yeah, it's an amazing program. Um, you know, it's great to be able to give back. Um, Obviously, we have amazing partners uh, like AutoNation, SiriusXM, and Arctic Wolf just came on board this year. But definitely, um, uh, this program is, uh, uh, for, you know, to fight for cancer is, is really great. Um, and there's so many connections with AutoNation and, and our team. Um, even Firestone, they even brought us tires when we rolled the car into pit lane. We have pink tires. <laughs> uh, we're the only ones to have that. I think it's great. Yeah. All right. So we're going to see you. Uh, we're going to see you this weekend. Do you know what the schedule is for Sunday? What time do you guys go out? There's a, an opening. S- so Yeah, I have the schedule. I just looked it up because, you know, uh, schedules have changed. It's a bit different than it was the past years. And it's difficult to find times to do everything. So we have a warm up around nine o'clock in the morning, Sunday. And then the race is around 12 noon. Uh, okay. So really fast morning. Uh, and it's supposed to be really nice in the 70s. So it's going to be a great day. It sounds fantastic. We're going to be out there. Um, as I mentioned, Adam Kroll and I are going out there. He's somewhere like 9 or like, probably right after your warm-up, uh, after 9, maybe around 9.30 or 10. Adam's going to do some laps in the Acura NSX. He's got to give – he's going to – whatever, some sponsors and VIPs and stuff. Yeah, he's going to cool. – now, he's been out there a few times with the um, – previously with the Toyota Pro Celebrity Race. He won – yeah. As a celebrity and came back and won as as a pro, uh, which he 
continues to remind us a lot. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and he is going to be going out there for uh, driving the NSX. I think he's going to have a lot of fun doing that car because I've driven that car and I like it. I don't know that he's driven that car. Fast. But the NSX is fast. But the it's NSX fast. is what's cool about being able to take it on the track like that is although the NSX is a cool car, it's very easy to drive and it just feels like an accurate on the street until you really put it in the track mode and then it becomes – a really impressive, uh, you know, a race car, if you will. And I, I think hopefully they'll get it set up in track mode for him so he can go out there and, you know, give some fun, give some fun it's rides. Yeah, he's going to do like, he's going to do like a 30 minute session out there. And that's then, cool. You know, and, that's then, awesome. uh, and then we'll see how he does. If he does well, maybe we'll get him to join your Lamar team. <laughs> Why not? We, yeah. we always need a reserve driver, you know. That's yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'll all get a trip to get a trip to France, and then we'll meet your dad. We'll shop at his store, at his superstore. That's the goal. I'd take everybody to the store. That's, that's I would too. I would just take Why everyone to the you store. Want? Yeah, I want sunglasses and a rental car. <laughs> uh, Simon, I appreciate it. Uh, you coming on the show. I know the the schedule is busy, and um, looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. Uh, I'll hopefully, after your warm up session, I'll have an opportunity to swing by. And again, I know it's a busy day for you, but I'll stop by over there and, and say hello and wish Please you luck. Do. And uh, I'm looking forward to your win. <laughs> Please do. Thank you. I cross fingers. You know, it's possible. We've. Uh... You know, three races in, it's um, it's evolved really nicely. So uh, it's very possible. We'll see what happens. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's about execution. So we'll see what we can do. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you there. Good luck. Thanks, Matt. Uh, all right. So that's fantastic. I'm very excited to have Simon back on the show. And it was, yeah, it's a crazy schedule over there and, and, and all the press and stuff that they have to do. But, uh, you know, it's always good to, to connect with Simon. All right, so I think we're running out of time here. Are we missing anything, Chris? I think we got it. All right, then uh, until next e- until next until next week, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Would you love to save money on insurance? Of course, who doesn't love a good deal? Well, when it comes to great rates on insurance for everything, GEICO can help. Insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, RV, even homeowners, condo, and renters coverage. Save even more with a special discount when you bundle coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use GEICO mobile app and 24-hour roadside assistance, and the switch to GEICO becomes a no-brainer. Switch today and see how you can save. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent.